Take your Bibles, if you would, and join me in Romans chapter number 15. Romans chapter number 15. Uh, As you're turning, you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit because right now outside we have had some temperatures that are soaring into uh, the the upper heavens. We have had some really hot weather. But I have had um, some history with cold weather and plants that... um, that I would rather not have had. A couple years ago, we had a cold snap, and I had been so faithful in bringing my plants in that are on our back patio. And we have a couple sections where there are some larger plants, these big pots, and, and it takes a lot of work to get them in, to get them covered. And so I risked it, and I lost it, okay? So the next day, you go out, and you can see that there's already this wilting that's taking place, and and um, as a little time went on, a week goes by and they just, they're dead. And so what I did is I cut them all off at first and then, you know, I got them out into the yard. I dug the old plants out. And then when spring came, I went to, you know, the different garden stores and, and replaced the plants. And, and it's rather expensive to do so, but it was because of my laziness. Last winter. Now, I know we live in Florida, but we get these cold snaps, and, and we were actually out of town. And so we're out of town. We got this terrible cold snap, and I thought I had prepared for it, but, but obviously not quite well enough. And so when we got back, the, uh, the plants had again succumbed to the cold weather. So I didn't dig them all out. I just cut everything off and so I just have these pots with dirt and, and little stubs sticking up where plants used to be. And I thought maybe we can appreciate the stubs this year. They, they look kind of nice. And so I, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of it when the weather improves and, and I'll, I'll dig them out and go back to the garden store and replant. Well, lo and behold, as, as the weather begins to warm... And there are four plants on either corner of the patio. And as the weather begins to improve, um, there is something that's happening in these pots, these large pots. And, And again, I had cut them back to nothing. And they're not the kind of plants that I thought, you know, they're just these perennials. They die back and they're not that kind of plant. But but they started to come back. And so I'm watching, and, and I think Julie's probably like, when are you going to stop nursing, you know, the dead back to life again, you know? But I just left them, and they kept growing. And if you were to look at the plants on our back patio right now, you would say, wow, those are really vibrant and healthy plants. What I thought was dead was actually not. I think the last time I dug them all out, I should have left them and let them regrow. Do you know when the leaves fall off a tree, it does beg the question, is the tree still alive? But we look at the tree with some reasonable expectation that there's going to come the signs of life again. And the leaves are the evidence of life, but the absence of leaves is not the evidence that it is dead. It just gives us some sense of hope or reasonable expectation for something that is yet to come. 
The passage that we find ourselves in today is one of those passages that says this is the reasonable expectation of what we might even call the normal Christian life. And I know that all of our life is not distinguished by what we're going to see today, but it is supposed to be the manner of our lives. It is one of those things that we have every reasonable expectation. Dare we use the word hope for what it is that the Apostle Paul presents today in Romans chapter 15. C.H. Spurgeon, who was not unfamiliar with with bouts of discouragement and even depression, once wrote the following. The brightest Christians lose their joy, and some of those who stand well in the things of God and concerning whom you would entertain no doubt, entertain a great many suspicions, however, about themselves. Joy and peace, he went on to say, are the elements of a Christian, but he is sometimes out of his element Joy and peace are his usual state, but there are times when, with fights within and wars without, his joy departs and his peace is broken. Well, let me ask you today, is the normal state of your Christian life characterized by what we refer to, biblically speaking, as joy and peace? I know that there are times when those seem to be absent. It's like the winter months of a tree, but we're waiting for just that little glimpse, the bud that finally appears, and then we know that soon that tree is going to be covered with the evidence of life, its normal state. The Apostle Paul has been walking us through in Romans 14 and into Romans 15 what the normal Christian life is supposed to look like as it pertains to Jews and Gentiles really fitting together to the praise of his glory. Those who come from different backgrounds, different histories, even different preferences come together in such a way that it again just speaks of the goodness of God. And they offer praise, they offer praise to the same. And now he comes to the conclusion of this powerful Romans 14, Romans 15. He comes to the conclusion of this section of Scripture. And it's almost as if he offers this beautiful benediction. This prayer for the normal Christian expectancy of the local church at Rome. And what we would say the the expectation for the church today. The title of our message today is fairly straightforward. It is the God of hope. So question, when is the last time you remember being incredibly full? I mean, incredibly full to where you say, no, 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 I couldn't eat another bite. It was the last night. Um, Probably not this morning, and and it's a bad thing to start out talking in a message about how hungry you may be. But maybe there was some time in your history when you recall, like, I am so incredibly full. Now, let's transfer the thought to, when is the last time you remember being incredibly full of joy and peace? 
to where you couldn't contain anymore. I know sometimes we ask people, how are you doing? And they say, oftentimes somewhat in jest or maybe just by habit, uh, so good, if I were any better, I couldn't stand it. When's the last time you remember that you were absolutely full to the overflow of joy and peace? The place we find ourselves today, again, is Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. And again, the first thing we're going to look at today is what we'll call the God of hope. The God of hope. Romans chapter 15, look with me, if you will, down at verse number 13. Here the Bible records, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay, before we go any further, let's do at least some service to defining what do we mean when we're talking about Christian hope, Christian hope, because we use the word all the time and if we're not careful, we may take our common definition of hope and we may apply it in a manner that is, is not appropriate for our Christian hope. So what do we mean when we say the word hope? I hope. Um, you might say, um, uh, listen, pastor already talked about food. Um, I hope he doesn't go past noon today. Okay? I don't know if that's a reasonable expectation or not, but you could say, I hope so. Then when we start to think about other aspects of life, we say, oh, I hope I get to, or I hope we will, but it's just some desire that it would be nice if. That's not the idea of our Christian hope. When we start to think about hope in the Christian world, we're talking about that which is a confident expectancy. Like this is my hope, this is my confidence, this is what I have every reason to anticipate will actually come to fruition. It's looking forward to something with reason for confidence regarding its fulfillment. And then I might add, the type of God you serve will determine the obedience you offer. You say, well, well, what does that have to do with hope? Well, in this passage, we have a definition available to help us understand our God. It says the God of hope. Okay, so what kind of a God do you serve? The kind of God you serve is actually going to be then really instructive for the manner with which you desire to obey him. I mean, think about what our God is not. Our God is not the God of fear. And let me say that again. He is not the God. He doesn't say, for ours is the God of fear. Now, I didn't say that he is a God not to be feared, but it is interesting, he's not the God of fear. In other words, we do look at God with awe, with reverential respect, even with a sense of God. I do fear who you are, your power, your splendor, your glory. But God, you are not the one who is the God of fear. He's the God of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Genesis chapter 15, we think about the manner with which God first introduced himself to mankind. When the Bible first says, the first use of the word of the Lord came unto, notice what the Bible says, Genesis 15 verse number 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The word of the Lord came to Abram actually to remove fear, not to instill or cause fear. Again, he is a God that we understand. Lord, I see your power. I see your holiness. God, there is some reverential fear of you. But God, fear doesn't actually come from The word of the Lord is coming to remove, not to cause. Ours is not a God of fear. Ours is not a God of uncertainty. The God that we must stumble about seeking to satisfy some fickle or some uncertain ways. Malachi chapter 3 verse number 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. The more we know God, the more we can say in some way, shape, or form, don't take this the wrong way, but... In some way, the more we know God, the more we can say God is predictable. He's going to always act in ways that are consistent with himself. He's not a God who is this unpredictable God. He acts in manners that are consistent with himself. Ours is not a God of lust because he can never desire something that would enrich the one who is already perfectly satisfied. He's not a God that constantly desires something more because he finds his satisfaction in himself alone. The Bible says in John 4, verse number 14, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him, Jesus speaking, shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You say, he's the God who satisfies me because he is completely satisfied in himself. Ours is not the God who demands sacrifice from us because he willingly gave himself as the sacrifice for us. Have you ever thought about the gods of man's creation that continually demand we offer some new sacrifice? But ours is not the God who demands sacrifice from us. What other God demands a sacrifice and then provides himself as the answer for that which he demanded. Ours is a God who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, 1 Timothy 2.6. Ours is a God in Romans 5.8 that says, but God commendeth, he demonstrated, he proved his love toward us in that, or here's how, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the kind of God that we serve. Ours is not one of these other gods of man's making. Ours is a God of hope. The God who provided our reason for hope. So you may say, am I simply then to just have, I don't know, hope in hope or hope in good things? Well, we would say that would be some circular thinking. It's like having faith in faith. No, you are to believe that God is who he said he is and that he fills you with hope. And then the more I know God, the more filled with hope I will become. If you're struggling today with what we refer to as hopelessness, ask yourself the honest question, in what am I currently hoping? Can you fill in that blank for just a moment this morning? Just do a little mental exercise yourself. Right now, what are you hoping for? 
If you filled in the blank, if you said, you know what I'm really hoping for is I'm really hoping for, where does that thought or that question take you? Sometimes we might answer it like when we think about what am I and what am I currently hoping? Am I hoping that my job will improve? Am I hoping that my marriage will be strengthened or even salvaged? Am I hoping that my child will return? Am I hoping that my health will be restored? Am I hoping that my relationship goals will be satisfied? Am I hoping that my inclination to continual failure will be resolved? Am I hoping that some difficult circumstance will change? In what today would you fill in the blank for? I'm hoping for, and I would say that all of these hopes are commendable in their own right, but they can never provide on their own what a believer is truly after, which should be not just hope in a change of circumstance, but hope, expectancy, in the sufficiency of our Savior. God is the source and foundation of hope. Anything less than him provides a lesser hope. And it is my confidence in him that carries me past my circumstance. So often we get immediately distracted with what we call hopeless circumstances. They capture our attention. They plague our emotions. They worry our minds because there is something that's pressing and it's an immediate circumstance. And so we hope right away, I hope my circumstances change. I want this to be different. And so we're hoping in something that is so captivating for our immediate lives. Let's picture something for just a moment. So let's think that, how many of you, um, how many of you like to fly in airplanes? Raise your hand. You like to fly. Any people not like, you don't like to fly, but you do. Raise your hand. You don't like to fly, but you do. Okay, there are several. So there are, are, are two basically groups. Some people in here might say, I don't like to fly and I don't, okay? Well, that's fine, but I like to fly. In fact, I'm one of those people that you probably don't want to sit next to because I'm usually asleep before the plane takes off. Anybody like that? Yeah, okay, anybody bothered by that person? Okay, okay a few. So that's me. I'm usually asleep before the plane takes off. But let's say that you're on an airplane and you don't like to fly and you're sitting in the middle seat, which makes it even worse, and uh, you're getting to altitude and the pilot comes over the uh, plane announcement and he says, um, it looks like we're going to go through some turbulence. I have left on the fasten your seatbelt sign. Well, lo and behold, you go through some turbulence. And it's not just turbulence, it's not just bouncy. I mean, it's the worst storm in an airplane that you've ever been through. Even the people who like to fly at this moment would rather be walking, okay? So it's a, it's a bad storm in the plane. And you're sitting next to a 12-year-old girl who's by the window. Right? And here you are, you're a, <clears throat> you're a grown man, and you're sitting in the middle seat, and there's a 12-year-old girl next to you, and your hands are gripping a little more carefully the uh, armrest in between. I've actually had people during turbulence, people that I don't know, actually grab my arm when the plane bounces and, and we made an immediate connection, okay? So, so you're there, you're about to grab the arm of the 12-year-old girl next to you because it is a rough flight. I mean, the rain is pounding the plane, 
lightning's flashing, thunderous. I mean, it's just a bad storm that you're in. And you look at the 12-year-old girl, and the 12-year-old girl is rather calm. In fact, she's looking out the window with some fascination. And, um, and um, she looks at you, and, and uh, she says, are you okay? And you look at her, and you say, I'm fine, <clears throat> with a little quiver in your voice. And you look at her, and you say, are you okay? You're being polite and answering and as you do, the plane lurches again, and again you take hold of her shoulder. <laughs> Are you okay? And she says, yes, I'm fine. And you continue, and in in, you're expecting to come out of the storm, but still you have not. And finally you look over at her and you say, do you fly a lot? And she says, no, not really. And then you say, how can you be so calm? And she just looks at you and she whispers, my dad's the pilot. You know, sometimes I wonder who it is that is piloting the plane, so to speak, of our life. And when you know who it is that is in control, you have cause or reason for some expectant outcome that is, in fact, good. It matters who is piloting your plane. One man helped us understand it this way. He said, I like the fruit of a tree, but if I may transplant the tree and put it in my garden, I would like that better. I like the gold from the mine, but if I may become possessor of the mine itself, I would much prefer it. I like joy and peace, but I like better still that sacred faith which looks to Christ and brings me joy and peace as a consequence. We, we like a smooth ride, so to speak, in the travels of our life. But isn't it better to know who it is that is ultimately navigating the journey of your life than to try to manipulate the circumstances that you can never fully control? If you're struggling today with hopelessness, why not take the verse that we're looking at and turn that verse into your personal prayer? A prayer to God. It may read very similarly to what you have written, but if you change it slightly, it has certainly much more personal gripping application. Now the God of hope fill me. The God of hope fill me with all joy and peace in believing that I may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Joy and peace they're not found in the absence of trial and hardship. Let me say that again. Joy and peace, they are not found in the absence of trial, the removal of the hardship. They are found in believing. And then we'd say believing in what? Not what, but believing in who? In the God who is always up to something good. Again, there's nothing about happiness in the Christian life that we should say, well, well, I just want the removal of circumstances so that I can be happy. Remember, if God is better to you than what life can offer and better than what death can remove, then we of all people are to be the most hope-filled people in all the world we have hope in God. 
Well, the first thing that we see in this passage is the God of hope. But he doesn't stop there, even in our verse. He's the God of hope. And then he, he doesn't make this even subtle. He says, I'm the God of hope. I'm the God of help. Look again at the passage of Scripture. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost. Now, the God of hope fills us by the power of our helper, the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples again for his departure. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be here some days following and then ascend to heaven. So he's, he's helping them understand what help they have available. And he says in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter we're doing no disservice to this word that's used here I'm going to pray the father and he shall give you another helper another advocate another one who's going to walk alongside of you now in his physical life here on earth Jesus walked with he ate with I mean they, they camped they they did ministry they did work they did worship Jesus was physically there. And if they needed someone to help, they knew who to go to. And you know what Jesus is preparing them for? The same thing that he has prepared us for. Okay, Jesus, you're not physically here, but you haven't left us as orphaned children. I'm not going to leave you comfortless, the meaning of the word. He says, I will come to you. How? In the person of our helper, our comforter, the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Greek word comforter that's used there? It's a, it's a word that the Apostle John uses five times in his writing. And it does mean in every sense of the word, it means, okay, if you wanted to summarize, it means, hey, this guy is coming. It might be that Jesus was saying an expression that you and I might use. Just hold on. Help is on the way. Who is that help on the way? Jesus said, okay, wait for the promise of his coming. I'm going to send you another comforter. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Same person, the comforter, the helper, the one who's right there by your side. The God of hope, yes, the God of help, who has given to us the reality of his presence, who's taken up residence in the life of every born-again believer, every child of God. You know, two things that the Apostle Paul's saying about the Holy Spirit that he's bringing. He says he's bringing joy and peace. Joy and peace. The two Greek words that are used, joy and peace, they're significant. And my, how they fit together, hand in glove. Joy. Study the word joy that's used here. And do you know one of the indications of the word? The choir actually sang about it. When we're going to actually see God. We talked about a, a child on an airplane. Let's, let's go back to the airport for just a moment. Do you, ever, um, do you ever stand there and just watch people waiting to see the person that they're looking for? And then do you see the corresponding joy in the presence of the one that they have been anticipating? Do you know the idea of joy is actually, it, it, the use of it can be connected to the joy that comes from a person. Joy. Oh, I, I'm waiting for, 
Now that person is here. There is joy in their presence. Have you ever seen someone in terrible circumstances, maybe physically they are on what we would refer to as their deathbed. But have you ever seen a person whose physical body is deteriorating and weak, but when they look for a person that they've been longing to see and that person walks in the room, it's as if the ailment of their body is lost in the joy of their soul. Because now they are in the presence of the one that they have anticipated seeing. This is the idea that he says, okay, here's what I have for you. He says, you have joy. Why? Because of the presence of the one who is our helper. And then he doesn't stop there. The word peace, the word peace comes from the verb that means to join together. Joy, ah, oh, from a person and peace. Now we're together. Have you ever waited up for a person to get home? Maybe you're a parent whose child has gone off to college and you know they're driving home and they're driving and because of their eagerness to get home, they're going to they're gonna pull an all-nighter, they're going to drive all night and, and your sleep was restless and, and, and your, your spirit was a bit anxious because you want to be in their presence and and what finally happens, joy at their presence and peace because of the union together. No more troubled soul. What is it that our helper is bringing, even in a world that's marked by all kinds of circumstances that are challenging? What does he offer? He says, listen, because of my presence, joy. Because I am here, joined together with you, peace that actually defies, goes beyond understanding. Do you have this joy and this kind of peace today? Or are you living a helpless life driven by the challenges of circumstance? What is remarkable or what is to be remarkable about the Christian's existence? If a Christian is no different from a world that says, give me some good circumstances and I can have some momentary joy and peace. What's to be remarkable about the Christian experience, different from all the rest of the world? What's supernatural about a life that must have circumstances to provide for some temporary or fleeting joy and peace? What's desirable about that experience? What makes our faith believable if we, during times that appear hopeless, are not filled with hope? There is something about a watching world that can see your life and mine in the midst of circumstances that are not smooth and easy and, and, and in some way prepared for our comfort. When a watching world can see, how in the world do they have joy and peace? They can come away saying, clearly there is something they have that I do not. There is only one qualifier for this kind of experience, joy and peace. And that brings us to our last point today. And let's again look at our last verse as we look at the God, not only of hope, the God of help, but the God of honesty honesty. If I'm going to believe in something, is this something worth believing? 
Again, verse number 13, the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 18 tells us that it is impossible, impossible for God to lie. Ultimately, it comes down to trusting in the veracity of God and his promises. Is God being honest with you or not? Um, Okay, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever said about some Bible principle before, well, that might have worked for you, but it didn't work for me? Have you ever said it or have you ever thought it? Maybe someone said it to you. They've said, all right, listen, I know, I get it. That works for some people. I've already tried that and it doesn't work for me. Do you know, do you know truly what we're saying at that point? Listen, that might work for some people, but it doesn't work for me. That might have worked for you, but it doesn't happen here. Really what we're saying there is, well, God might have done that for you, but God's not doing that for me. In a roundabout, backhanded way, we're saying, God, you're not being truthful. What you promised, you have not made good on. Is God a God who can believe, be believed or can he not? Often we wonder, okay, what's, what's the problem? Where's, the, where's the, 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 the kink, so to speak? Okay, have you ever done this to someone before? Have you ever, some of you are just, um, you know, you're just, I don't know, you're evil parents, and have you ever seen your child pick up a hose to get a drink, and you stood back and you kinked the hose? Okay, how many of you are an evil parent? Okay, there are some, and it's a, yeah, I see evil parents all around us. Okay, so you kink the hose, and uh, your child picks up the hose, and they're waiting to get a drink, and you stop the water, and then you wait until they do what, right? Yeah, you wait until they look at it, and then you let the hose go, all right? I don't know why you do that. You're not evil. It's just one of the agreements. You have to sign a paper that say you'll do that when you become a parent, okay? So one of the things that we, we are doing is we're just putting some kind of a kink, a stop in the hose. Sometimes we wonder, God, what is the, the I don't know, what's stopping the free flow of joy and peace? Why isn't it coming to me? And did you notice what he connects this joy and peace to, to being accomplished in our life? We wonder why is, it, why is it not reached us? Remember, God is connecting here his joy and peace with our believing. Do you know what it is? It's not saying that might have worked for you, but it doesn't work for me. It is saying, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I am believing you. This is not believing that all my difficulties will be removed. It is believing that God is good and that God loves me and that God has my best interest in mind and that God will supply all my need and that God has me even now in the hollow of his hand and that God will never leave me nor forsake me and that God has not forgotten me and that God is only waiting in order that he may be gracious to me. This kind of believing realizes that God is more interested in our eternal good than in our immediate happiness. Campus Church, God is more interested in our eternal good than in our immediate happiness. How many times 
Have you watched a child sadden because they didn't get the immediate, but because a parent had something bigger than the immediate in mind? And yet, how seldom do we fail to apply even our own parenting principles when it comes to our interactions with Almighty God? God may be withholding something that at this moment in time you deeply desire but not because he is a vindictive God or a God who is only doing something to serve some temporary or some petty means. God is far more interested than our eternal good and his eternal glory than he is in our momentary or fleeting comforts. David refused to live a helplessly woeful existence when God failed to answer his immediate prayer. He may not have understood why God seemed so distant, yet he lived with an absolute confidence that the day would come when this too would be resolved. Psalm 42, even into Psalm 43, David prays again a prayer that says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. He's really saying, put your confidence, put your belief in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. When I believe God and take him at his word, I have opened the gateway for his joy and his peace to follow. And then he uses the word abound in our passage. The word literally means to superabound. It's used of a river overflowing all its banks. It communicates that which goes beyond, above, it exceeds. It has more than enough to spare. Do you remember when Jesus took the five loaves and the two small fish? And he feeds the thousands, the 5,000 men and the women and children beside. And the Bible records in Matthew 14, 20, and they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. The words that remain, it's the same word used for abound in Romans. They took up that which abounded. Listen, he fed the thousands, but there was still more. You didn't bankrupt God when you distributed that which seemed overwhelming. God still had more to spare. And do you know what he says about you? He says, here's what I want to do for you. I want to superabound you. I want to fill you up, and please don't think that after I've filled you, there's not more for tomorrow. I'm going to super abound. If you've ever had a meal at the Palaguta home, the Palagutas are members here at Campus Church and have been so. They, they um, um, immigrated from Ukraine uh, several years ago and now are here in Pensacola, and, and they are members here at Campus Church. Whenever you go to their home, if you've ever been to their home for a meal, you know that the table um, is explaining this Greek word, okay? The table super abounds, all right? And have you ever been at a, at a place where someone puts something on your plate and you just thoroughly enjoy it, and then they say, let me get you some more, and that's Anna Palaguta. I'm here, pastor, here's some more. And I say, no, 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 Anna, I'm full. She said, no, you're not, whoomp, you know, and you're going to have some more. What is it? It is, it's, it super abounds, okay? And do you know what God says? God, I have, I have joy and peace. I asked at the beginning, when's the last time 
He said, oh, I'm so full of joy and peace. I, I couldn't hold any more joy. But peace, it superabounds. Well, you know, that happens for some people, but I don't know that that happens for me. Well, could it? The, the leaves are not there right now, I know, but that doesn't mean there's no light. But, but my circumstance, Pastor, if you knew, I have prayed about this and prayed about this. Maybe God's waiting for you to accept the circumstance so he can fill you with something that's better than a change of circumstance. Oh, to superabound, is that even possible for a person like me to be so full, abounding in joy and peace that you say, God, I can't hold anymore. You have filled me to overflowing. If you've ever gone snorkeling before, you know that it's, it's a world that is hostile to your existence, but there are some beautiful things to see. So you, you, you go under, you have a mask on typically and, and a snorkel, and you're in an environment that does not support life. And the means by which you can continue to actually just be sometimes filled with wonder. Even in an environment that is not built to support life. You can, you can swim around and you can, you can just like, oh, look at that. And look at how beautiful. And oh, I could never see this otherwise. And what an environment. Even an environment that does not support your life. You know, the Christian we're living in an environment that does not support our life, and yet you can be even in this environment filled with joy and peace when you are connected continually to that which is above. If you're going to snorkel successfully, you have to say, stay connected to that which is above because the environment that you're in at that moment does not support your life. If you're looking for the environment that you are living in now to support your life, you're going to find it cannot do so. But as you stay connected to that which is above, even in a hostile world, you can experience something of joy and peace that super abounds. Christian, you're going to find yourself today at one of two stages. You have believed God for salvation and it was granted to you, but you have trusted him no further. You're lacking joy and peace. Or you have believed God for your salvation and he has become your first satisfaction. You believed him, a God who cannot lie. And this God has filled you with joy and peace in believing. If you're not yet a Christian, Today, I pray that you will be. And if today you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then believe that the joy and peace that God makes available through the person of his Holy Spirit is not only available for the person next to you, it's available for you. Joy and peace in believing.